You're listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Genesis chapter 1. In just a moment, I'm going to read just the first verse. You're all probably familiar with that, but I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to look at a lot of what's in this chapter together, not just the first verse. Uh, This morning, we're going to start a a series of sermons that I'm very excited about. Uh, That is a series on some of your favorite Bible stories. Um, I got almost uh, 60 cards from all of you, mostly children and teenagers, but some adults. Uh, Children, especially, thank you so much for all of your suggestions. Uh, You guys are are just as much a part of this church as any of the rest of us. And so uh, I want to thank you for giving me so many good ideas. Um, I'm planning to cover all of the passages that you have suggested. Uh, A number of you requested the same story, so there won't be 60 sermons. There's probably going to be 20 or 25. Uh, For those of you wondering, the most popular vote-getters were Noah's Ark and David and Goliath, which we'll get to those eventually. But this morning, uh, we want to consider the story of creation. By the way, When I use the word story, um, I'm not using it in terms of a fictional or a make-believe story like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. That's not what we're talking about. These stories in the Bible are are things that really happened. Noah really built an ark. Um, Jonah was really inside a fish. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were really thrown into a fiery furnace. And what we're about to read really happened. So Genesis 1, 1, and then throughout the sermon, we'll look at the rest of the passage. Notice what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Over the years, a lot of ink has been spilled A lot of time has been spent discussing what this verse means. And while it is certainly one of the most, if not the most, well-known verse in all of the Bible, it is also one that is very controversial. This verse raises all kinds of questions that people have. Does God exist Did God really create all things? And did God really create all things in the way that Genesis 1 says he created all things? Now, there are a lot of people today who don't believe what this verse says. They don't believe Genesis 1.1. They don't believe Genesis 1. They don't believe what it teaches. You you have contemporary atheists, men like uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, Sam Harris, other people like that, who who say that you can't square Genesis 1 with science. And and they will say that if if we claim that Genesis 1 is really true, that it's really history, they will say that, that we are unintelligent, that we are backwards, and that we were we are quite unable to deal with reality. The sad thing though is it's not just atheists who think that way. Over the last decade or so, surveys have shown that a a growing number of evangelical Christians believe the same thing. Since 2014, an every other year survey has been taken of evangelical Christians in this country. 
And one of the statements that has been proposed in this survey is this. Agree or disagree, modern science discredits the claims of Christianity. Modern science dis, uh, discredits the claims of Christianity. Agree or disagree. Since 2014, the response of, of evangelical Christians has pretty much been the same. 40% of evangelical Christians agree modern science discredits the claims of Christianity. And that basically means that, that modern science discredits what the Bible says here about creation. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's very troubling to me. It's troubling to hear that a, that a large number of professing Christians thinks science trumps the Bible. Now, throughout the years, there have been those who have said, well, you know, you can, you can say that the Bible gets it wrong in matters of science and, and even history, but you can still hold to the core teachings of Scripture. Colleges and, and universities that were once very strongly orthodox have said that very thing. They have said Genesis 1 through 11 might not be true. It, it, it might just be a myth that's there to, to teach us some important truths, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the Bible isn't true. Or they will say something like, yeah, science shows that Genesis 1 and 2 is, is not literally true, but that doesn't mean that we can't be Christians anymore. I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't think that the opening chapters of Genesis are unimportant or insignificant. I mean, if we can't trust God's word to be true about creation, can we trust it to be true about other matters? If, if Genesis 1 and 2 are wrong, can we trust what the Bible says about salvation? If Genesis 1 and 2 are wrong, can we trust what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus? If Genesis 1 and 2 are, are just a myth, can we trust the Bible in what it says about eternal life? Genesis 1 and 2 are every bit as much God's word as Psalm 23 or John 3.16. And, and this opening chapter of the Bible answers two questions that are of the utmost significance. First of all, how did this world get here? And then secondly, how did we get here? Children, those are big questions. Those are massive questions. Those are questions that have been asked for a long, long time. Questions that people have suggested many different answers to. But, but questions that God answers for us here in Genesis 1. So first of all, how did this world get here? There, there are very few places where you can go today where evolution is not taught, embraced, and held to as a scientific fact. Evolution, of course, is this idea that the, the world just happened to come into existence through some kind of chance process over millions and billions of years. If you go to a, a public school or university, if you hear someone give a a presentation on climate change, even if you go wine tasting, evolution 
is talked about as if it is a verified fact. Now, I'm not going to look at this this morning from the perspective of science. Uh, there, are, there are good resources out there if you want to do that. But my intention with you, of course, is to look at what the Bible says. What does God tell us about creation? What does God tell us about how this world came to be? And, and what God tells us is summed up in this verse I just read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, notice that little phrase, the heavens and the earth. This is what is known as a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. A, a merism is a statement in which two things make up a whole. For example, let's say you, you lose your keys. And, and you tell your spouse, I lost my keys, I got to go look for them. And you, and you come back and you say to your spouse, I searched high and low and I can't find my keys. That, that phrase is a merism. It's a, it's a way of saying high and low is a way of saying I looked everywhere and I can't find them. Merisms are also found in wedding vows for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. In other words, you're, you're committing yourself to that person in every possible circumstance that you may face. And, and so when we are told here that God created the heavens and the earth, it, it's not God saying, I created the heavens, I created the earth, and the rest of it just evolved. That's just a, a, a poetic way of saying God created everything. Now, children, this is not the only place in the Bible that tells us that God is the creator. There are many other passages as well. The fourth commandment in Exodus 20 says that in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Nehemiah chapter 9, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. John 1 says this about Jesus. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The clear plain, consistent, persistent teaching of the Bible is that God created all things. And how did he do it? Very simply, he created all things out of nothing by his spoken word. If you have your Bible open, notice verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Look at verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Then the end of verse 7 says, and it was so. Same thing in verse 9, same thing in verse 11, same thing in verse 14. All throughout the days of creation, God speaks and it is so. God created all things by speaking them into existence. Now, I think you would agree with me that, that we can create some beautiful things. We, we are sitting inside what, what I think is a, is a beautiful sanctuary. You, you can go to museums in this country and all throughout the world, and you can see beautiful pieces of art that people created. But in order to create those things, we need pre-existing materials, when this church was built a number of years ago, people didn't just walk onto this property and say, let there be a church building. And there was a church building. 
pre-existing materials were needed to, to build this building. Children, let's say you wanna, you wanna draw a picture for your parents. You don't just sit down at your dinner table with nothing and say, let there be a picture, and bam, there's a picture. You can't do that. We can create things and we can design things, but we need pre-existing material to do so. We need wood and steel and paint and crayons and paper. We need stuff. God didn't need stuff. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Psalm 33 puts it like this. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. And when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Now, we've heard this chapter and this verse so many times that we may be, in a sense, desensitized to this. But isn't this amazing when you think about this? Doesn't this, doesn't this testify to, to God's great power? For example, God, God just spoke and all the stars came into existence. Children, do you know how many stars there are in our universe? If you were to guess, what would you think? How many stars are in our universe? Our universe contains approximately 200 billion trillion stars. Now, I don't, I don't even really understand that. I can't calculate that. 200 billion trillion stars. Now, in thinking about that number, one author says this. He says, consider the power of God in creation. If a computer were observing 10 million stars per second, it would still take 63 million years to count all the stars. In other words, you've got this computer, and this computer is, is counting all the stars in our universe. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and on and on it goes. And, and this computer is, is so fast that it can count 10 million stars in a second. That's fast. It would take that computer 63 million years to count all the stars. One thing that Genesis 1 should do, one thing the account of creation should do, is it should leave us in awe of God's power. It should leave us marveling at who he is. Children, God spoke. He, he just spoke. And, and all the stars came into existence. Years ago, there was a man named J.B. Phillips who wrote a book. The book is entitled, Your God is Too Small. And Phillips' point in, in that book is that but too often, we, we kind of bring God down to our level. That, that we tend to, to view God as just a, a little bit bigger and a little more powerful than we are. Martin Luther once, once said this to someone. He said, 
your thoughts of God are too human. If our thoughts of God are too human, if, if, we, if we kind of bring God down to our level, if our God is too small, we need, we need to capture a grander vision of who God is. We need to stand in, in awe of his greatness and his power. And that's one of the things that this chapter helps us with. God spoke this world into being. And, and here we are reminded that, that God is not of this world. God transcends this world. He is eternal. He is uncreated. He is all-powerful. And, and this impacts how we view our world. This, this world didn't just evolve by chance. Life is not this, this meaningless, random thing that just happened. God spoke all things into existence by his powerful word. And, and again, this is not just mere theology or doctrine or something to discuss and debate. This should change us. This should impact us when we, when we understand the power of God in creation. When we are weary, when we are discouraged, when we are like God's people we looked at in the book of Haggai who felt that they just couldn't go any further. When we feel like that, we can turn to God for the strength that we need. And the God who created all things by his powerful spoken word will give us the strength that we need. That's what this chapter, one of the things that this chapter should do to us. We need to believe the promise that God gives us in Isaiah chapter 40. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God. He is the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, when you're weak and weary, you can turn to the God who created all things and he will give you strength. Or when you are worried that our world is out of control, when you are anxious about the future, when there's something in your life or your circumstances that, that you know you can't do anything about. We need to remember who created this world. And we need to remember who holds this world in his all-powerful hands. How did this world get here? God created it. He created it out of nothing by his spoken word. Second question, how did we get here? As you read through Genesis 1, you see the different things that God created on each day. So if you have your Bible open, you'll notice on day one, God creates light. Day two, he creates the atmosphere. Day three, he creates dry ground and plants. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, birds and sea creatures. Day six, land animals. 
But God saves the best for last. Take a look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We did not come up out of some primordial ooze. We did not evolve from some lower life form. Man was created by the triune God as the very pinnacle of God's creation. And man was made in the image of God. Now, many people in our society, in our world today, reject the idea of man as the crown of God's creation, as the pinnacle of God's creation. And, and they reject this idea of the uniqueness of man as being made in the image of God. You have people today who see man as no different than an animal. One example of this is a, a woman by the name of Ingrid Newkirk. Ingrid Newkirk is the, the president of PETA. PETA is um, the uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals. One time, Ingrid Newkirk said this, a rat is a pig is a boy. In other words, there's no difference between a rat or a pig or a boy. You have groups today that, that say eating meat is murder. I, I read an account the other day where, where someone was saying that uh, killing chickens is no different than the Holocaust. That's insane. Killing chickens is the same as, as killing human beings. Now, now what you believe about creation and what you believe about man's origin that, that's going to have a direct effect on, on how you view this world and how you view other people. Douglas Kelly is a, a theologian who has written a lot about creation. And, and he writes this. He says, there is no doubt that the biblical vision of man as God's creature, whom he made in his own image, has had the most powerful effect on human dignity, on liberty, on the expansion of the rights of the individual, on political systems, on the development of medicine, on every other area of culture. How different, Kelly says, from the humanistic viewpoint of man as merely an evolved creature, not made in God's image because there is no God. Such a premise has enabled the Marxist totalitarian states conveniently to liquidate millions of their citizens because of the assumption that there is no transcendent person in whose image those citizens are created, no being to give those citizens a dignity and a right to exist beyond what the state determines. In other words, Kelly is saying there is a, there is a, a drastic difference between a biblical view of creation, a biblical view of man, and a humanistic evolutionary view of man. 
If man is not the crown of God's creation, if man is not created in God's image, man has no ultimate dignity. And, and man can be disposed of whenever he's not useful or whenever he's not wanted. What do you think allows an abortion doctor to sleep at night? But a view like this. Scripture tells us that we are made in God's image. Now what does that mean? A lot of talk throughout the years. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? I think it means very simply that we reflect God in certain ways. Specifically, three. First of all, we are moral beings. We, we reflect God's righteousness. Secondly, we are creative beings. We reflect God's creativity. And third, we are, we are relational beings. We, we reflect God's ability to relate and communicate with others. And, and all of this is, is a reminder to us that there is meaning to life. There is purpose to life. God is the, the creator and king over all. He created all things. He created us in his image. He created us to, to glorify him and to love him and to serve him and to worship him. Children, your life has meaning. Don't listen to our culture that says you're no different than an animal. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. There is no ultimate meaning or purpose in an atheistic worldview. There is no ultimate meaning or purpose in an evolutionary worldview. God created all things. He created man as the crown of his creation. And at the end of all of that, God looks at his creation and what does he say? God looks at all that he has made and the Bible says God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. Sadly, God's good creation was plunged into sin and death when Adam fell. And as you know very, very well, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is broken by sin. Now, thankfully, that's not the end of the story, is it? God sent his son, Jesus, to this dark sin-filled world and he lived for us he, he died for us he rose again in history so that we would be reconciled to our creator have you been reconciled to the one who created you have you come to know the, the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ Yes, God's good creation was broken. It was marred. But God sent his son to reconcile the world to himself. Do you know Christ? In a moment, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And the, the Lord's Supper is a, a visible presentation of the gospel. The Lord's Supper is, is saying to us, the only way to a, a right relationship with your creator, the one who made you, the one who made all things, the only way to a right relationship with him is to come to him through faith in Jesus. 
and what he accomplished on the cross. How thankful we are this morning that our creator is also our redeemer. The one who saved us from our sin and from the despair of this world. This is an important chapter, isn't it? Children, I'm glad. I was a little worried because for a while nobody had given me this chapter. And one of you did. And this is an important chapter for us to understand because it it shows us how our world came to be. It shows us who we are. Maybe you've heard the name Carl Sagan before. Carl Sagan was a, a 20th century American astronomer, scientist, He rejected the God of the Bible. He thought that the account of creation was nonsense. One time Sagan, this this brilliant, learned man, one time Sagan was asked, do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share with other people? Here's what he said. We live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star that is one of 400 billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of billions of other galaxies which make up the universe, which may be one of a very large number, perhaps an infinite number of other universes. That is a perspective on human life that is well worth pondering. Basically, Sagan was saying this, we're nothing and life has no purpose And life has no meaning. That's where atheism and evolution lead. Life has no meaning. You live a while. You die. And that's it. Children, how different is the teaching of the Bible? The God of the Bible is the living God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And through Jesus, he is the redeemer of his people. He's created you with a purpose. He's created you with meaning. And that is to bring him glory. When you go to school tomorrow, children, God has created you with the purpose of bringing glory to him. Your life has meaning. Your life has significance. When we go to work tomorrow, when we interact with people tomorrow, our lives have meaning. They have purpose. And we are headed somewhere. We are headed to an eternity where because of God's grace to us in Jesus, we will be with him forever. An important chapter that we understand An important chapter that we stand for this truth in the culture in which we live. That God is the creator of all things. And created you and I with purpose. And that is to glorify him. And to love him and to know him and to serve him through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.